welcome back to our podcast and today we are going to be talking about water. Uh, water is probably one of the most commonly known compounds since it's, you know, we use it in everyday life. We need to drink it to survive. And most people know that it's H2O, dihydrogen monoxide, two hydrogens, bond out to an oxygen. And um, despite the fact that it's so common in our world, it makes it like 70% of us and 70% of like the Earth's surface. Um, and it's so commonly known and kind of basic, it's really complicated. So water is a molecule that kind of strives to be different. It really kind of contradicts a lot of trends that we see in chemistry. An easy example of what I'm talking about is ice. Ice is weird. And primarily, I'm going to be talking about water in the solid form, ice, um, because that's where water really gets complicated. And um, I think it's a way that a lot of us can kind of think back and understand it and like um, we can experience it in everyday life. So it's a good example. So one of the huge things that really fascinated me when I first heard the question and then it made me wonder why I never thought about it or even thought to question it is the fact that ice floats. And it seems kind of stupid to think about that because the fact that ice flows is something that we're literally exposed to every day because whenever you put ice in your water or drink or whatever, it just, it floats and we just accept it and we don't even think to question it. But when you start to ask the question, why does ice float, then it starts to get really weird because I mean, I think to the general person, there's a lot of misconceptions about solids and liquids. I'm going to kind of clarify that. And really you get to ask yourself, why do things float in general? And the answer has to do with density. So the denser an object, the more tightly packed the molecules in a substance. And so the denser it is, and the more likely it is to sink. And the greater space between the molecules in a substance, the less dense it is, and the more likely they are to float. And so things flow based on if they are, or the relation, the density ratios between that substance that is floating and the liquid that it's placed in. So water is typically your standard unit or not unit, but like whatever liquid or thing is compared to, because water is one gram per milliliter density is measured in mass over volume. Um, so if it's typically less than one, it'll sink in water. And if it's greater than one, then then if it's less than one, it'll float in water. If it's greater than one, it'll sink in water. So since ice floats, that would mean that water in its solid form is less dense than liquid water. And that raises some more questions, I feel like, because ice is a solid. And generally speaking, solids tend to be denser in their um, solid form than liquids do, or substances tend to be denser in solid form than liquid. I mean, if you think back generally to like your elementary school exercises and early chemistry, when you had to like draw out states of matter, I think a common exercise, at least one that I can always remember, is having to draw particle diagrams at different phases. And you have like your solids are really closely packed together, all your dots that you draw, and then liquids, they get more spaced out, and then gases get even more spaced out. And this is actually kind of a misconception of phases because 
that's more of a depiction of density than what actually happens at the particle level at during phases. Um, so to represent phases, you should actually indicate how particles are moving, like if they speed up as they um, go higher up on the phase phases, and um, by, and also like the intermolecular forces between them and that stuff. But that's a little more complicated than you would get in elementary school level. But by simply drawing those particles close together, you are creating that misconception that solids are denser than liquids, and that is not always the case, as can be seen in ice. So in reality, solids are just more fine-tuned into their attractions between other particles in what are called intermolecular forces. And we've been covering intermolecular forces a couple of times in this podcast, so I'm not really going to explain it. It's just the attractions between molecules. But circling back to water, water has what's called hydrogen bond intermolecular forces. So hydrogen bonds are when there's a hydrogen in that molecule that's bonded to oxygen, nitrogen, or fluorine, any one of those, those can all form hydrogen bonds. And since water contains two hydrogens bonded to one oxygen, it can um, form two hydrogen bonds. And another misconception I want to talk about is that hydrogen bonds are not the bonds themselves, but rather it's what happens um, when there's the attraction between the unshielded proton where, where the hydrogen is in that water molecule. It has a slight positive charge and there's a slight negative charge um, where there are two lone electron pairs on the oxygen molecule. And what happens is these molecules, those two sides are so attracted to each other really strongly that originally when scientists were um, studying these, they thought that those hydrogen bond intermolecular forces were actual bonds themselves because they are so strong. But it turns out they're just really, really strong attraction between molecules. So again, knowing that, I feel like that even furthers like the idea that what that water molecules should be denser because they have those attractions that are really, really strong, right? But actually that's that's wrong again. And the further reasoning as to why this happens is has to do with the molecular geometry of a water molecule. So molecular geometry is really hard to explain verbally. So I'm just gonna do my best here. Um, but the shape of water molecule that I can best describe it is kind of V-shaped. It's like a bent stick. The hydrogens are sticking out at like the ends of the V and then the oxygen would be like that bottom point of the V, if that makes sense. So because of that shape, the fact of the hydrogen bonds, well, and the fact that hydrogen bonds can form, that means that the one hydrogen at like that point or that those ends has to be attracted to an oxygen at that point. And they end that's the only way that they can really stick together because of how oxygen is formed or how water is structured. I don't know why I said that, but. Um, and this can cause a nice crystallization, which forms a hexagon pattern. And I recommend looking up just a picture of ice molecules to fully visualize what I'm describing. So it, you can actually see, because it's really hard to describe geometry verbally. So naturally, since they form this hexagon pattern, this spaces out the molecules. So ice becomes less dense than water, and then it flows because of that organized hexagon pattern instead of everything in water form, which would be like everything bumping into each other. 
um, and there's not really that much space between them. So that's why ice floats. But this also causes something else really interesting to happen since it comes less dense and since it becomes more spaced out. So ice will actually expand in volume due to crystallization. So ice in solid form is not only less dense, but also it has a larger volume. Uh, and this would just be an interesting little factoid if we did not live in the Midwest, specifically in Michigan, because Michigan is known for its horrendous roads. I think we get a lot of um, backlash on it from a lot of other states, but it's not actually like our fault. It's not Michigan's fault. It's not like the construction or how well we take care of our roads. I mean, that can play an effect into it, but in reality, it's more of the faults of our geography and just the chemistry of water in general. Because I mean, you know, in the winter, we all know, it snows. Sometimes it snows in November. Sometimes it snows in Halloween. Like it just, it happens. And typically with the first snow, like the ground isn't warm enough yet. So it just kind of melts. Once it gets on the road, then you just have a bunch of water off the road. And that water, since water is you know, a liquid, it just takes the volume of its container, this definition of a liquid, so it'll get into all those cracks and grooves and like the rocks and everything in the road. And that can cause its own problems like erosion and everything, which can be also bad. But then night comes, and when night comes, it gets below freezing. So the water will freeze. And since those water molecules form that nice hexagon crystallization pattern, the water expands, the ice, and then that pushes apart the grooves and the cracks. And then daytime comes again, and then it thaws, and then it erodes everything. And then I'll, not to mention everyone's driving on it, which doesn't help at all. And then it freezes again and gets even colder. And then it pushes everything out even more. And then it snows more. And everything just keeps piling on and on for months on end because it's Michigan and it'll do this in April, sometimes even May, like it's, it's Midwest. And it all has just gradually ends up eroding all of our roads and gives us stuff like beautiful potholes that are just a joy to drive through and just a bunch of cracks and just broken road pieces. And it's really hard to keep up with. So you should have some understanding of our roads now. It's really hard to fix them. And yeah, that's all I have. Yeah, so, so yeah, on that note, we're going to move on to self-ionization. Don't know how to transition that. It's about <laughs> water. But this is going to be the most complicated thing I'm going over. So bear with me for, you know, a little bit. You know, bonds of water, like, water molecules, they're, you know, two hydrogen and oxygen. And sometimes they can like break and reform and this can lead to some uneven bonding where instead of, you know, your H2O, you have H3O and H or HO or just H. It's just kind of complicated. So then, or H3O and then um, HO and the H3O is positive and the HO is negative. And then you end up with this kind of positive negative thing, which ends up balancing out, which is good. It's still a little weird. If you remember on our soap episode, which was kind of far back, we talked about, you know, polar and nonpolar molecules, which is why water can't clean oil and why soap is so helpful because it's kind of both and it sticks to both things. 
and we talked about how water is actually a polar molecule because the hydrogen atoms are slightly positive and the oxygen is slightly negative. Because there are so many, there's just so many molecules of water, even if, even if you have like a milliliter of water, there's still plenty of water molecules in there. So even if it doesn't happen often, it still happens, you know, enough because there's just so many of them. So sometimes an oxygen atom will kind of steal a hydrogen atom from another water molecule partially because of its charge, because it's negative and that's positive. Even though it's kind of balanced out, it still wants it. And then you end up with this H3O molecule, which is slightly positive because hydrogen atoms are slightly positive, and H2O is balanced. So if you add a positive atom to it, you will end up with a positive molecule. And then that leaves the H2O that the hydrogen was stolen from and it just becomes HO, which will be negative because it just got something positive stolen from it. And sometimes you will see it explained as water, instead of turning into H3O and HO, you will see it in, like, you will see it in the form of just water turning, turning into a hydrogen ion and a, um, and then just, you know, HO which I believe, I forgot the name for these, I wrote these down somewhere. But it's basically the same, the hydrogen ion is basically just what you end up with when you get the H3O because it's water plus a hydrogen, well, a hydrogen atom basically. But that tends to be what you'll see. They'll like add an acid to it, which causes an electron to break off of the um, hydrogen, and then you'll get your hydrogen ion. And it's slightly more complicated and it's not self-ionization. It's, you know, where they add acid, some sort of acid or some solution to it that causes that to happen. But this will just happen with water that's just sitting there. And as long as the balances of those two are equal, the water will, the water will remain neutral, sort of. Water's complicated because it's both an acid and a base, which you might be asking, how is that possible? Well. The definition that I read said it's both a bronsted acid and a bronsted base because it can create or contain, because that's what the water turns into, the H3O, which is an acid because it's more positive, and then the HO, which is a base. And so it has both acids and bases in it, and it has a pH of 7, which makes it more complicated because that's kind of neutral. It's in the middle. It gets really hard to kind of define it. I know there was one definition that Annika said a while ago that was like, I don't remember what it was, but it pretty much meant acid base. That makes um, water pretty fun. And speaking of water being pretty fun, it has a lot of uses and special properties. And these are pretty short, but they're also interesting, so hopefully I didn't confuse you too much on the self-ionization. It's hard to not explain a picture because it's very easy to visually represent because it's just, you know, movement of atoms. But back to the special properties of water. These aren't properties, well some of them are, but they're not all properties that water alone has. But they are cool properties that water has and water does have all of these, which is really interesting. But the first um, thing I'm going to go over is cohesion. And this is basically how water kind of sticks to itself. Like how you can kind of fill a cup of water and it goes a little bit over the top before it spills. And that also has to do with surface tension, which is another one of water's special properties. 
which is sort of its ability to resist overflowing even though it's filled more than the top. That's how it's an easy way to describe it. That's not the actual definition, but that is one of its examples. And that's because of hydrogen bonds, actually, because they form it with other water molecules. And when you get to the ones that are at the top, they don't have as many water molecules surrounding them because there's air above them. So they form stronger bonds with the ones next to them and under them, which causes them to be stuck together more, which means it's going to take more force to push them over the edge because then you're kind of, you're usually breaking those bonds. And this is also why sometimes you can, um, sometimes you can support small objects like a scrap of paper or even a needle on droplets of water or just water. And also why droplets form on spider webs and things like that, which I just thought was interesting. And then we get into adhesion, which is so cohesion was water's ability to bond with itself, and adhesion is its ability to bond with other molecules or atoms. Not really bond, but more stick to them, because it's not creating a new molecule. It's still water, it's just sticking to other things. And actually, what's really interesting about adhesion is that it leads to another one of the special properties of water, which is capillary action. And I actually had two, ex two ways to show an example for this because I thought they're both slightly different. The main idea is the same, but one of them may, may be more common. The first one I'm going to explain is the more common one you see basic definitions when you look it up on like a chemistry website. And that will be the, um, in this example, you will put a capillary tube, which is a really small glass tube in a beaker. And because the water is attracted to the glass, more than it is attracted to itself, the water will tend, will kind of rise. It's hard to explain because glass is more polar than water is, so it will be more attracted to the glass. And it sort of rises, I don't know how to say it, you know, it, it defies gravity. It looks like it's kind of rising through the cup and that's what it is doing. And another interesting thing I actually saw when I was researching this is that you know that little divot you see in water when you fill it to a cup? Or when you put it in anything you can put in, in glass? There's just, a lot of times when you're using like a graduated cylinder you see it really easily. There's that little dip in it almost where it's not exactly straight. And that can be caused because the water is very attractive to the things on the side of the container. So you end up having some that are stuck there and then you end up with this kind of gap in the middle because they're not as um, they're just not as attractive to that part as they are to the sides. But one example that you might know better because it's just more commonly just like seen or just, you see it more in daily life. You don't really see, you know, capillary tubes in daily life, but you do see things like paper towel. And if you've ever kind of like dipped it in water, you can tell that it goes up. And that's for a couple of reasons. It's because, well, A, um, paper towel is very porous, so the water can easily go inside of it. It can just, it's very permeable, the water, and fluids like water, or just any fluids, honestly, because that's the definition of por por that porosity. So the water can easily go into it. And then it's also very strongly attracted to it. And 
This attraction has to be very strong, strong because it's A, more attractive to it than it is to water, and B, more attracted to it than the force of gravity is that is trying to keep it from going up. And you know, once you have some water molecules go up, other ones will follow because they're, all, they're stuck to the water and they're also trying to, um, just because they're also attracted to the substance. And then just a few things, they're really short, just specific heat, which is the amount of energy it takes to increase one gram of a substance by one degree in either Celsius or, Ke Celsius or Kelvin because they're the same intervals. Um, but water has a very high specific heat, which is very helpful because it's used to cool in industries. It can, use for, it can be used to explain many things and has many applications. One of the one, the one that I thought was kind of the most interesting was that things like ponds will stay cooler and not get as hot because it takes more energy to move it, to make it hotter than it will with most things, which is why your lakes and your ponds and just kind of any body of water stay cooler even though it's hotter outside. They do get warmer, obviously, the warmer it is outside, but they don't get as warm. And that's because it takes more energy to make them warm than it does with most other substances. And then just something I thought we should bring up about water because we talk about it a lot is that it is the universal solvent, which we call it that because it can dissolve more substances than any other liquid. And we bring it up, like just when you're talking about something, you'll be like, it can be dissolved in water and sometimes you'll bring up an acid. It's just something that is helpful to know for understanding things. And that's what I had on water. Thank you for listening and join us next week where we will be discussing some more interesting chemistry topics.